0: Is impossible, but certain things are highly improbable. Don't think I'll meet your kind again. Yeah. Not in this life, yeah. so something-
1: hello, guys. Come on in, grab a seat make yourself at home as you should when you're a guest in Bradley's house. I'm your co-host, Jared Orr. She is our host, the executive director of the Noel Family Foundation, Bradley Noel's sister, and our host, Ms. Kelly Noel. Kelly, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm always better on nights that we record the podcast, Jared, because you make me feel really important. (laughs)
1: You're a, you're <laughs> a big deal. You're a big deal. We're not, we're not going to have give this the argument. best
2: introductions. No, we're not going to have this argument, but thank you very much for always making me feel very special. It's a big, uh, ego boost, especially on super shitty days. I look forward to hearing how you're going to introduce me and make me laugh. So thank you very much. And truly, I think people should know that you are the real host of the show. Although
1: I'm sure if they've been listening, they know that. You just let
2: me co-host, and I appreciate that.
1: Was you stop it? Well, I did finally talk you into doing something that you were probably a little reluctant in in doing, and I said, Uh, uh, "I said, you know who needs to be a guest on this show at some point?" You said, "Oh my God, who?" And I said, "You do." And you said, yeah, I don't really have anything interesting to talk about. And I think that that's absolutely crazy because everybody wants to know all sorts of things, not just uh, about you. But obviously, Kelly, um, your brother, also kind of a big deal. He's
2: kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah. He's kind of a big deal. He also used to blow his nose in the
2: shower. And I think people need to know that. (laughs) (laughs) He was just... A gross, disgusting boy.
1: <laughs> I think it's I think it's so brother. funny because I I genuinely throughout the time of doing this show and, and hearing you just during the interviews and um you are just like such a sister. Like you hear people like saying these just amazing things about your brother, and I can almost hear you just like, oh my god, if you only knew like <laughs> And and it's funny because we all look at him as this musician and this person that has had such a. And you still look at him as, like you just said, your your gross stinky brother. So <laughs> uh, I hope I can I, think I can bring
2: things down to earth a little bit. You know, not to take away from the impact that he's had on so many people and the genius of the music that he and everyone involved with Sublime created, but you know, I do think that it's important for people to remember that at the end of the day, he was just a stinky boy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and again, I I think if anybody thinks, you know, I have a brother and, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what's your brother? Like, he's an asshole. I love him. And, you know, I, I have great, but you know, he's, I think siblings have that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, uh, we decided, you know, The, uh, anniversary date of, of Brad passing is upon us. Um, we have jumped to the future because as we record this, we're not quite there yet, but as this is being heard, uh, we just had the, the anniversary of his passing and we wanted to do something a little special. So we stayed away from a guest. We kind of made you the guest and we said, Hey, do you guys have any questions, things that you're curious about, things that you want to hear about, and, uh, we had a bunch of questions pour in from all different forms of social media and email. And, uh, I can't believe it. But Kelly, you're actually going to, to let me fire away some questions and, and kind of be the guest on your own podcast.
2: I am. It's, it feels very strange. I feel really, um, it's very humbling when somebody asks me to be on their podcast or when someone wants to interview, you know, for, for whatever, um, I I'm always very humbled by it. And and actually for the first, you know, I don't know, 15 years after Brad died, I did not uh want to talk to anybody about it. It was very very difficult for me. I think I gave maybe two interviews in those 15 years. And um so it took me a while to get there cuz I'm human. I think we all, you know, we all deal with grief in our own way and I certainly don't think that, that the way that I handled it was, was the best way, but it was the way. That's just what I did. So, so I'm always very humbled when, when people want, you know, an interview and I do it not because I feel like I have anything important to say. Um, but because for whatever reason, you know, people want to hear about the experiences that I had with Brad or, you know, get a little insight or whatever. And I, and I definitely respect that. And I love, that people want to know that. So, so to do it on our own podcast seemed even stranger (laughs) to me, because not only do I not understand why other people want to interview me, but I definitely don't understand why, you know, we would want to do it on our own show. But, um, but I, I love our listeners and I love the fact that so many people support the show and listen to the show and, you know, enjoy what, what we talk about and who we talk to. So I'm going to trust you on this one, Jarrett, and go along with it and we will, we will answer questions.
1: Yeah, no, listen, I told you we're, we've got some questions, but we're going to keep it real light and fun and conversational and wherever it kind of takes us. But I know that you're a very private person so i know mm. that this isn't as as easy for you. So a uh, question yeah. one your social security number kelly is <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> this is i'm and then, by the way can <laughs> i just say i'm glad you brought up the point of me being a private person because i do feel like this is my brother's way of still fucking with me <laughs> from the grave. Right. He knows how hard this is for me. He knows how difficult it is. You know, i don't I don't post a lot of personal stuff on social media. It just, it it's very difficult for me. So to do this is is very similar to, you know, running down the street naked. So, um, but again, like I said, I, I really believe that this is just Brad sitting there laughing that I'm squirming and having to do this. So... <sighs>
1: Yeah, you got that's that's laugh. weird. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes while we're recording, I'm actually running down the street naked just because it's easier for me. So you know, it, that would not surprise me. <laughs> it shouldn't. Um. All right, Kelly. So we got uh we got a bunch of these questions. I think uh, we should just start hammering away at them and right, uh, and seeing go. what the fans want to hear about and seeing what kind of answers you have. Now, uh, as we're going through these, I just want to give you one quick tip. Um, you know, as questions come up, you know, don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. Okay, <laughs> remember that we're here to entertain. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> our our first question came in through email. It came in through William. Uh, I'm going to read this all, and then we're going to kind of back out here. So it okay. says uh, it says first off, thank you for your work and continued contribution to the archive of Sublime. Thank you for interacting with the fans and involving us with the podcast. My questions are kind of hard to ask, but I have always wondered and apologize if they seem a bit blunt. How long did it take for you to get used to being constantly reminded of your late brother? Is it something that still gets to you at times? Or is it something that you just accept and have some joy in knowing Brad touched so many lives? Are there times you wished Brad didn't get involved in music? And have you ever wrote a song or do you play an instrument? So William came hard in the paint came here. Dead. Right off Damn. the bat question right one. Yeah. out of the gate. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot to unwrap. I'm going to start. Uh, how long did it take for you to get used to being constantly reminded of your late brother?
2: I don't know. Ask me in 10 years. Maybe I will have an answer because I'm not. I'm not used to it. Um, it's very difficult for me to talk about. And, um, and it's very difficult, especially around this time. So, you know, as you mentioned, as we're recording this, it's leading up to the anniversary of his passing. And so that, of course, brings up all kinds of, of memories about him getting married. And the last time I saw him last time I talked to him last time I hugged him, you know, all these different things. And it's a very difficult time for me. And, um, you know, as i mentioned i i don't certainly don't think that I am um an example of how to deal with grief i I just did it the way that I knew how, and for me, that was to sort of avoid everything for a very long time and and now that we since we started the foundation i I can't avoid it anymore and so especially on times like this, um normally I would stay off social media for this time, and I would you know, feel very sorry for myself for losing my brother and, um, for him not being here. And I just, I tend to sort of just sink into that melancholy and, and I just, I have to, some, sometimes I just have to indulge it. Like, that's just how I get by. And, you know, the more I fight it, the harder it is, you know, we all have our own way of grieving and, um, I know I've said this before on the show, but I'm sure I'll say it again. A very good friend of mine told me years ago, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And so I just kind of go with it. But so in the past, my way of dealing with it has always just been to isolate. That's what I tend to do when I, I get stressed out or sad or whatever. I, I isolate. And this the, the foundation does not allow me to do that. And um, in some ways, I'm grateful because I do think that it's healthier to talk about it. I don't think isolating is the healthy way to deal with it. It just happens to be what I do. Um, So I do think it's healthier and I do, I do get so much out of it. You know, I do get so much out of hearing other people's stories and, and knowing that other people miss him and remember him. It's very, very gratifying, Uh, but it is also very difficult because I don't have the luxury of, of just moving on and, and setting that part of my my life and my memories and my heart aside, I do have to sort of face it and deal with it. Um, so, yeah, so it, it is, I don't think I'll ever get used to having to talk about it and I don't think it'll ever stop hurting. I really don't. I mean, maybe, maybe it will, I could be wrong, but, um, but it, is, it is something that I struggle with, but I do feel very privileged that I can talk about it and that people want to know about it. Um, so I, I love the fact that people still, you know, congregate at his graveside on his birthday and the anniversary of his death and, and all times in between throughout the year, because to me, it, it that's one of the the perks, you know? So I have this, this burden of, of always having to deal with it, but at the same time, I see the benefit of it and that's that, you know, he's so loved and so remembered and and that makes me feel um, feel really good. So it's sort of a double-edged sword. Sure.
1: Well, I think that kind of answers the next question. Obviously, um, you know, obviously it still gets to you at times, but you yeah. do have that joy in knowing that, you know, Brad has, has touched so many lives. And like you said, seeing Absolutely. people congregate and, uh, you know, so uh, here's a question. And I already know the answer to this, uh, I think. Uh, but he says, are there times that you wish Brad didn't get involved with music? 100%. Yeah,
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's not to discount the impact that his music has had on people. You know, when I say that, it's not that that I wish that they didn't have that in their life. It's just that me personally, if I just look at that that one solitary issue, you know, if I could say with hundred percent certainty, which clearly I can't, but if I could say with hundred percent certainty that if he had not been in the music business, that he would never have succumbed to, to his, you know, propensity for addiction or wouldn't have been in the environment where it could be, you know, fostered or whatever. Um, I absolutely, I would, I would trade all of it to have him back because he was such an important figure in my life but but i do think that one of the beauties of life is that amidst all of the tragedy we can find some beautiful things and i do think that that's one thing um from losing my brother i you know obviously it's a huge tragedy for our family and for so many people who loved him and and who you know his music means so much to them um but at the same time so much beautiful stuff has come out of it so many people's lives have been impacted and you know, it's impacted their sobriety and their, their futures and all that kind of stuff. So I try to focus on that stuff. Um, not to say that there aren't times when, you know, I sink into that, you know, woe is me and I feel sorry for myself. And I just sort of wish that he, you know, was here and that I would trade it all. And, and I will, I mean, I, I really do believe that, you know, till my last breath, I will wish that, that we could trade it all just to have him back. But, um, but that's just the, the selfish side of me that, you know, that wants, wants my brother. So um,
1: yeah. I understand that. I, I think that makes sense. And I, I totally, I could totally understand where you come from on that. I just, you know, I don't know if, if Brad never got involved in music, is it really Brad? It seems like his story is just, you know, from so young, um i I don't could you could you imagine him being an accountant in a tie (laughs) at at an office every day
2: no absolutely not but i can imagine him being a lot of other things besides a musician not that i don't think that he you know i i I think that music always would have been a big part of his life just like is a big part of mine and you know everyone in my family but um
1: so so just to just to play crazy alternate world what what would you see him doing if he wasn't if he was just a, <laughs> a if he was just a guy that noodled in his garage but he was a a regular what, what kind of job would you see him doing?
2: You know, honestly, I think he would be doing something creative. I think there's no denying the fact that that he was a very creative person, and that's where his passion lied. Um, but you know, I see the same things with his son Jacob as well. Jacob is such an accomplished musician, and and has so much. More that I believe, ha, you know, is going to come out of him. But prior to him starting a band, he was a writer, and he is an incredibly gifted creative writer. He writes amazing fiction, and that's something that that has he's been developing ever since he was a child. And so, I think I think Brad would have ended up in some way creative writing or something like that because I. I I see so many of those parallels in Jacob as well. They both have that, that similar tendency towards, you know, the creative arts in some way or another. And, um, so I think it would have expressed, expressed itself in another way. And, you know, and then on top of that, he also probably just would have been a beach bum surfing and, you know, (laughs) enjoying life. I, yeah, I don't think he ever would have been an accountant, but, but I do think he would have been doing something creative if it wasn't music.
1: I, I could see some sort of, I mean, obviously they both have a, an amazing writing ability. And, mm. uh, so I, I could see something like that. Yeah. I've I wrote some amazing poetry on the inside of stalls at Truck Stop Bathrooms. Um, <laughs> I don't know anybody if that that dr-
2: qualifies. <laughs>
1: <sighs> well, there's a man from Nantucket that disagrees, Kelly. Okay. Um, question two we got <laughs> from Matt. <laughs> uh, <sighs> Pull it together. We're doing a show here. Um, (laughs) Matt asks uh, I'm sure you get this question a lot or something similar to it, but I would like to know when were you aware of how much your brother's music really touched people? When did it really sink in? And I guess, like, did you have that aha moment, like walking through the mall or seeing a t shirt at a store? Like, was there something that you remember being like, holy shit, right? My brother's a celebrity.
2: There were there were a couple moments that come to mind um, when when you read that question. One of them, for sure, is is this moment that I had, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but I want to say it was within like a year of when Brad had passed away. And I was watching a, an interview with Pat Benatar on TV, and the interviewer asked her. What type of music her kids listen to, and she rattled off a couple names, including Sublime. And I mean, my brain just exploded like that. To me, was was such a crazy moment because Brad and I grew up listening to Pat Benatar, and um, you know, she was huge in the seventies and eighties. And when he first passed away, we didn't obviously, you know, they didn't have Sublime didn't have the same um exposure and notoriety that they have now and so uh, it was still a very new thing and to have someone like a legend like Pat Benatar even even know that Sublime existed let alone to be familiar with their music just tripped me out and all I wanted to do was like call Brad and be like holy shit she just said Sublime but um but I couldn't, he wasn't there. So it, but that for me was a huge moment just because that was someone that, that was such a big part of our growing up. And that seemed so far removed from our reality and to have her, you know, kind of merge those two worlds was just a trip and always will be for me. And, and then also I think, um, when I got on Facebook, uh, I, I think it was around 2010, And I was still in my, you know, avoiding everything and in my denial of, of my grief and pain and all that. And I just got on Facebook to, you know, connect with friends and, you know, maybe people from high school and that kind of thing. So I, at the time I was married. And so I, I included my maiden name in the middle there, like most people do. And, um, and I guess that's how people found me. And I would start receiving messages from people talking about how, Sublime's music had impacted their lives and uh, just all this stuff. And I was so confused. Like, why are people telling me I wasn't in the band? Like I didn't, I didn't get it at first. And, and it wasn't, I think it took about a year before I, it finally started to sink in that, that there was so much, so much more. I mean, I knew, obviously I knew that the band was huge and it's not like, I was, you know, had my head in the sand. It's just that, that me personally, I was sort of keeping Brad and his memory in this bubble. And I think that sort of punctured the bubble and, and forced me to have to kind of come to grips with the fact that, that, that it wasn't just my own personal loss, but it was, it was a loss for a lot of people who never even knew him. And that for me was very difficult to understand at first. And um, but once I did, it really allowed me to see the impact that his life had on other lives and and that's really that 's really huge and that 's really powerful. so that was a big moment for me as well.
1: Those are amazing moments. All right, Kelly, chat me up for a second here let 's get a little hypothetical okay. how How do you think Brad would have handled the level of fame that Brad has? Right now, I, I told you that, you know, I, I could see him walking up to the house and everybody looking at him confused and him being like, yeah, I gave the truck and my surfboard to some kids that didn't have one down at the beach. And I'll just, like, I, I could just see him <clears throat> being very, you know, generous with his whole yes. scene. Um, how do you think he would handle this? Because, you know, him, you know, the person that he is. I mean, was he. Was he signing fake autographs when he was in middle school getting ready for fame? Or, I mean, how do you think he would handle... We're talking about he wouldn't be able to walk through Walmart. I mean, yeah, it, not well, that's star fame.
2: Super hard for me to imagine that. Because again, I still just, you know, he's still just my brother. But knowing him, um, I have a couple of thoughts on that. So first of all, I don't think that it would have ever, <clears throat> that it would have ever become... A thing for him. You know, like, I, I do still think that he would have always, like you said, just been that guy that, you know, Hey, you don't have a board, take mine, you know, like um, just very generous, not just with, with material things, but also with his time, you know, that's one thing that I hear from a lot of people too. They're like, Oh, I met your brother at the show. And, and he, you know, sat there and talked with me for like half an hour and I couldn't believe it. He was so cool. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's who he was. And that's, that's honestly, that's, that's what our father always modeled for us too. He was just that kind of a person. And, um, you know, my dad, he, he, he worked hard, um, his entire life. And so he was able to retire and, and he's done very well for himself, but at the same time, he's just, you know, he still washes his own car and, you know, like just, is very, very down to earth. And so we were always, um, we always had this example of this man, you know, who was always the same, regardless of whether we could, you know, barely afford to eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken or, you know, whether he was doing well. And so, um, I, I don't think that he, it ever would have really gone to his head. I just don't think that he, he would have been like that. Um, but I, I do think also that he would have been really tripped out by it. Because I don't, you know, I think everybody, when they do something, of course, everybody wants to be well-known or they want to be recognized or they want to have success. But until you get there, I don't think you can truly appreciate everything that goes along with it. And I think for some people, it it can go to their head and make them feel you know, more, uh, more important than they really are or more special than they really are. Cause you know, we're all just people. We all do different things and we all have different things to offer and we all are great at some things and shitty at other things. And, um, we're all just, just people. And so, but, but as a society, we tend to put people on a pedestal who are talented, you know, with athletics or with the arts or something like that. Um, but I do, I do believe that Brad just always would have been Brad. And I think, You know, he always would have been wearing his flip flops, and um, you know, eating his weird things, and um, and blowing his nose in the shower. So
1: it's it's funny you say that because I was just getting ready to ask you, do you think he would upgrade to a more expensive flip flop? Would he go with something maybe with a little more contour and cushion? No, okay, all right, just checking. No, I think he would wear what he liked because he liked it, and
2: not because it was, you know, cool or fashionable or whatever. And I think that that's, you know, that's pretty obvious to tell from, from the way that he was, you know, for him, it wasn't about looking super polished or whatever. It was just no. about, <laughs> it was just about being him and about, you know, the music and about getting it out there and, and being authentic, authentic. I think that's a good way to put it. He was always very genuine and very authentic. And, um, and honestly, I do think that the real Brad is the one that would just sort of lose himself in the music when he was on stage. I think that that's when he was the most real, um, maybe not a full expression of all facets of him, but I do think that when he was performing music, that's when he was able to truly tap into, to himself and, and strip away all the, the anxiety and the frustration and, you know, anything and, and just really be himself. Whereas sometimes, you know, you'll see someone performing and they're putting on a performance. They're really trying to, to perform and act and impress. And, and he never really did those things. He just, he was himself and very genuine. And I, and I think that's why people have responded
0: to the music.
1: Absolutely. I told you early on in us doing the podcast, I, one time, my dad, who's been my huge musical influence throughout my entire life, everything that I know about music, uh, at least he'll say the good stuff uh, I got from him. So, um, and I remember showing him a video, a live video of Brad at one point. And my dad said, there's certain people that have this music inside of them that they just have to get out. They can't, they can't keep it in no matter what they do. It just has to come out one way or the other. And that's what you see here. This, he can't, he has to get this out right now there. There it would, he would not physically be able to keep this in right now. And, uh, and I told you that and you were like, oh my God, that's, that was exactly what he was.
2: Yeah, Um, that is exactly. And, and I have described it that exact way that he just, he, he didn't, he didn't perform music because he wanted to be famous. Although I'm sure he did. I mean, you know, if you're going to put that much effort into it, you'd like people to appreciate it. It doesn't suck. Yeah, it doesn't suck. But but he really, he just, he got up there and he he gave it everything that he had because he had to. That's just what, what was in him and it had to come out.
1: Cesar asks, how old were you and how old was Bradley when you first found out he was doing drugs? And how did that affect the family? What was the response like?
2: Hmm. So, okay. Let me think here.
1: Well. I guess let's skip to when, when did the, when were the drugs a problem? When was it not just a teenager having fun and partying? That
2: definitely makes it easier. Yeah. So when he, I think it was, you know, when it, when he started using heroin, that was, that was the big concern because I think prior to that, it was always, you know, Oh, it's just a phase. Oh, he's just being a boy. Oh, he's just, you know, crazy kid, teenager, whatever. Um, not that those things were, were necessarily said, but I think there was always just this sense of, you know, he'll, he'll come through it. He'll grow out of it kind of a thing. Um, because our whole family is very, we come from a, a, I love our family. I have to say all of my extended family, my cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody, they're, they're just, they're fun people. And, you know, the family parties are, are fun. And so we're, we, as a people (laughs) like to have fun. Um, and so, you know, as you're growing up and you're a kid and you're trying different things, you know, it's, it's just part of life. It's a rite of passage, but, um, but unfortunately when those normal childhood experiences, with different substances happen to somebody who has that propensity for addiction it can turn deadly and i don't think that we fully realized the um the gravity of that i know we were we were concerned for sure so he he struggled with heroin for about 4 years so it was around 92 that he first started or that he first tried it and obviously, you know, we were not aware of it right at the start, but it wasn't too much longer after that, that we realized there was a problem. Um, prior to that, we knew there were issues. We knew there were problems and we knew that he was doing more than he should and that kind of thing. And so there were definitely conversations, but, um, you know, as far as, as rehab and that kind of thing that didn't come until after he started using heroin and, and, it was starting to affect his life and he couldn't stop and, you know, it was having an adverse effect and that kind of thing. So, um, and that uh, I truly believe is just because he had that genetic predisposition to addiction where, you know, you could put 10 people in a room and I don't, I don't know the statistics and the numbers, but, but you could put 10 people in a room and maybe, you know, six of them could, could take, try a drug or a drink or something And then choose not ever to do it again, but the remaining, you know, four would, would have no choice. And so that's just the way that addiction works. And you don't know if you're that person until it happens. And that to me, I think is one of the great tragedies of the disease of addiction, because you don't, you don't know ahead of time. And, you know, if you knew, then maybe you could make that choice not to have that first drink or not to have that first hit. But if you don't know, then, then you're just doing what everybody else is doing. You're doing what the guy next to you is doing and his life does not get ruined, but yours does. And, and that's the reality of addiction.
1: Now, I know that you have said in the past that you've tried, you tried to talk to Brad about it and he would just kind of blow it off. He wasn't really yeah. having that conversation with you. <laughs> not with me, um, now, as far as like your dad, obviously they had a very tight bond and relationship. Was Brad open with what was going on? As he was in his music, I mean, was this something that he thought he he could control? Was he, yeah, this is what I'm doing? And I mean, what was that like?
2: Initially, he thought it was something he could control. He didn't. He didn't go into it. Uh, obviously, knowing that it was going to take his life or or be something that that he had no power over. But, um, when it was clear that it was a problem, you know, we tried multiple times to get him help and to help him. And it was just, it was something that that was out of his control and out of everyone else's control you know, there were a lot of times that, that he tried, he tried to get clean. He, he would start a program, but, um, but couldn't finish it, couldn't stick with it. And, um, it was just, you know, it was easy for him to get somebody to come pick him up or, you know, and so that's not to put the blame on anybody else. It was, you know, it was just him suffering with, with his, his addiction, but, but yes, there were, there were lots of conversations. There were lots of tears. There were lots of attempts to help. Um, and, you know at that time there, I don't think it was as as freely discussed as it is now i certainly didn't understand addiction back then i had absolutely no concept of of how difficult it could be and um so that was a very you know it was a, a different time it was 25 years ago it was a very different um way of dealing with things but but I do know that that us as a family, we tried everything within our power, everything that we knew how to do at that time um, we did the best with what we what we had and um, unfortunately it just it wasn't enough
1: and I think that's that's well documented I'll tell you for me it's it's strange because being on the two ends of it at at 13 or 14, I'm like, Oh my God, Brad made it to 28. And just to, like, you know, that's not, that's a pretty good run. Like, and hmm. now at 37, I'm like, he was a baby. He was yeah. in his twenties. You know, you don't yeah. realize that, um, you know, and I think there's a lot of people that think, you know, Oh, well an addict is, you know, they, they choose to he was a boy in his twenties. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, there's not a lot of good decisions being made by boys in their 20s <laughs> um you know what i mean like yeah. now obviously he just you know he 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 took he, he wanted a little extra cheese on his whopper in, in life but um you know he was a boy in his 20s and, and i think yeah. that that's something that a lot of people forget um you know i it's just i think about that a lot yeah he was right Scott, um, how would you know? All right, well, hey, Scott wants to know if you had to pick a song and say it was Bradley's favorite beside his own music, what would it be? Couldn't do it.
2: No answer. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, I can, I can tell you, you know, some of the music that he listened to growing up, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember his favorite. Um, All right. So, in in lieu of
1: that, what about mm-hmm. like a really like cheesy? nerdy girly song that brad loved <laughs> that like 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 a guilty pleasure song um
2: mm-hmm. i i but, also I mean, don't know that i all i remember is like so growing up i remember he was into like younger like before high school he was into like led zeppelin and kiss and uh, I remember him listening to Blue Oyster Cult. I just remember that because I thought the name was so weird. So I'm two and a half years younger than Brad. And so, you know, when he was listening to this stuff, he was probably, I don't know, around 11 or 12 kind of age, which would have made me nine or 10. So I, I was not, you know, I was not aware of all this stuff, but, um, but yeah, those were the, the types of Aerosmith. I remember him listening to Aerosmith. And then as he got older and, you know, got more into punk, um, Dead Kennedys, that kind of thing. And then he got into reggae and, you know, it was just, but it was always a, a variety of things. There was never one just like, oh, I'm just listening to this music or I'm just into this genre. It was There was always a lot of variety. And um, and it also reminded me of something that I, I don't actually mention too often in interviews, but um, every Sunday night we used to listen to this radio show called the Dr. Demento Show. And it was on a, a local station, but I'm pretty sure it was a syndicated show. And they were all like these crazy songs, a lot of Frank Zappa, just a lot of these trippy things. And, and for whatever reason, it was like a super big deal for us on when we were young on Sunday nights that we could stay up and listen to it. I think it was like at, at nine o'clock on Sundays or something. So it was a big deal that we could stay up for an hour and listen to it, but we would sit in the room and, and listen, to it, which makes the sound so old. We gathered around the radio, but, uh, um, <laughs> It just for whatever reason, we just loved that. And they were these silly, crazy songs, um, like about dead puppies or fish heads. And, um, and that was like a highlight of, of our week was listening to the Dr. Demento
1: show with all these crazy songs. Man, you are blowing the mind of children <laughs> right now. There's kids that are like 20, 22 listening to this and they're like, fucking radio shows. <laughs> but, um, That's a radio, yeah. right? No, hey, listen. I- <laughs>
2: Okay, I just have to say, I just got a text from Anna, our producer, who, by the way, Anna, you totally should have busted into the show to say this. But she said, Dr. Demento is the shit. I should have known that Anna would know. Anna might be the coolest person I know. He wrote Fish Heads and did They're Coming to Take Me Away. And yes, I could sing both of those songs for you word for word, because those were a huge part of our childhood for whatever reason. I do remember thinking, though, like, this is the weirdest stuff. Why are they singing about this? But they did. They did. And it was, it was a big part of our life. <laughs> I love that Anna remembers Doctor Demento.
1: She's seriously seriously cool. On right now, (laughs) Um, uh, Amy says, uh, "Hello, Kelly. What is your favorite memory of you and Bradley when you were little?"
2: Oh, I've always had an issue with favorites. Like, I I can never pick one favorite, and I certainly don't have like just one single memory that stands out um and i think it's for a couple reasons first of all uh, and i said this before if i would known he was going to die i would have paid more attention to a lot of these little things you know when you when you grow up with somebody you just figure they're always going to be there and you take them for granted and you take the memories for granted and then as i mentioned my way of dealing with the grief was to just sort of compartmentalize and set it all aside and close off those doors and wall it off and sort of you know protect it in the shrine and so to try to remember a lot of these things 25 years later is a, is a bit of a challenge and it makes me very sad that I don't remember more. Um, but I do, I do remember taking, you know, road trips very when we were young with our family, we took a lot of road trips and he was very entertaining. Um, when he wasn't bugging me and, and pestering me and, you know, crossing the imaginary line in the backseat, but he could also be very, very amusing and very entertaining with lots of different, Um, voices and impersonations and characters that he was just a very creative person. And, um, and I love the, the letters that he would write me when he was away at summer camp. Um, We used to go to a camp in Utah in the summertime. Our mom worked for somebody who had a connection that allowed us to go to this amazing camp. And, And it would be like for a month at a time. So when Brad first went, I was too young to go And I was devastated. It was so, like, I could not deal with the fact that he was not there for a month. It was really hard. And um, I was a big sleepwalker, sleep talker. And mom talks about when um, Brad first went away to camp. And in the middle of the night, I'm sleepwalking and standing at the top of the stairs crying for Brad. It just was so weird to have him gone. And so he would write these great letters. And, you know, sometimes the letters were, oh, I'm having so much fun. And other times it was I'm miserable. Please let, tell mom and dad I need to come home. Um, but so he always wrote the greatest letters, just very entertaining and, and would draw illustrations to go along with it, which of course, at the time I thought were just masterpieces. (laughs) Looking back now, they were just, you know, child's doodles. But, um, so just always, I think the one thing that stands out the most about Brad is just that he was, he was a very creative, very, um, you know, sweet, sensitive soul. Um, And yeah, so there were, you know, I I think like any, any siblings, you know, there's good times and bad times and, you know, I, I try to focus more on the the good stuff because that's what I'd much rather remember.
1: So we have a a pretty, a pretty strong research staff here at Bradley's (laughs) house. And, um, I came across an interview where you had actually mentioned that, like, you went a a while without talking people like thought you couldn't talk because Brad was basically (laughs) like your lawyer. He did, he did all your negotiating, all your talking, all your wheeling and dealing for you. Right.
2: He did, which, you know, from a very young age, clearly I was gullible enough to let him do my talking for me. But, but yeah, my parents um, say that I was a late talker because I would just make sounds and Brad would know what it meant. And he'd be like, she's hungry. She's tired. She's thirsty, whatever. And so I didn't really have to talk a whole lot because he would take care of it for me. He was my, my spokesman. I don't know. He was, he just kind of handled it for me. And then, um, then he went on a trip with our grandfather and he was gone for, I don't know, like a week or something. And, and so I had to start talking and the way that, my mom says it is that I just sort of started talking in these big sentences and they're like, wow, what do you know? She can talk. Um, but it's just cause I had to, you know, so he was there. I didn't need to, he was gone. I had to. Um, and he also taught me how to read, which, you know, don't, don't be too quick to go, wow, what a great brother. Cause I'm pretty sure he did it so that I would do his homework for him, but oh, smart. <laughs> right. So he, yeah, I, I learned how to read at a, at a pretty early age and, you know, when your older brother is going to school and, you know, it has homework and that just seems like the coolest thing. And I would like beg him, please, can I do your homework? And he'd be like, all right. <laughs> I was a very gullible child, but, um,
1: that but yeah, is so, amazing.
2: <laughs> he was a smart guy. He's very smart, <laughs> very devious. Um, but yeah, so he, he taught me how to read and I used to, um, go back and you know read my kindergarten class when I was in first grade because I was the big you know first grader but that was all because Brad had already taught me how to read.
1: Look at you super fancy. Well yeah. that was kind of Brad's thing. I uh I remember I was talking to our friend Jaime the one day and I caught him in you know one of his moods I guess and he <laughs> says to me uh Brad liked to read books and I went and I remember saying yes. books Books and he said, "Yes, Jared. See, there didn't used to be the internet. We used to have these things with paper, and you would turn the pages and you would read them, and they were books." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm aware." He goes, "Brad liked to read books. He, he liked Make to learn about books. stuff." <laughs> yes. And I was just times
2: like, right. He did. Right. He was a All big right. reader. He, he was loved to read. He always had a book. Um, my older son is like that too, just loves to read. And my dad is like that as well. So they all have that in common and love to read about history and politics and philosophy and religion and all these, you know, interesting things and, and not just read about them, but then talk about them and discuss them and debate about them. And, you know, um, so he always had something that he was reading, always had a book. Um, and it was always very thick and large and meaty and, um, but you know, it could be everything from, I remember reading Tolkien. I remember, you know, reading the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and then, um, beyond good and evil by Nietzsche. I mean, it was just like, and everything between. So, um, lots of variety, but he was, he was very intelligent, very intelligent.
1: Clearly, uh, some of the songs and the the way that you're able to write these things, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not just for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. all right, Chris, Chris has a two-parter here. What are some non-confrontational ways to support an addict that is not ready for rehab without being an enabler? Wow.
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I will say, from from my own personal experience, anybody who has a loved one that's struggling with addiction, I cannot recommend strongly enough that you go to some Al-Anon meetings. And before I went to my first one, I didn't realize what they were. I'm like, hey, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon. I thought it was just short for that, but it's not. They're two very separate things. So, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, all those different anonymous ones, those are all for the people that are struggling with an addiction. But Al-Anon is for friends and family members of people that are struggling with addiction. and And you learn a lot of, just, just by talking with other people that are going through it and through, you know, some of the wisdom that's shared in the literature, you learn so much about, about how to deal with it, not just for yourself and for what's best for you, but also what's best for your loved one that's struggling with addiction. So right off the bat, I would say if you know someone, you have a, a you know, close friend or family member that's struggling with addiction and, and your life is impacted by it, which in most cases, that's what happens because addiction is not a solitary disease. It really affects everyone in your orbit. Um, get to an Alamon meeting right away and try out at least six of them because I went to some that I loved and some that I got nothing out of. And it, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't because one was better than another. It's just, you know, some groups. I vibed better with, or I got more out of, or you know, whatever. And so, I really, I think it's important to to try different ones and, and find a place where you really can can get what you need. But for me, that was huge. Just really, really, I learned things there that that I would not have otherwise learned. So, I do think that that's the number one thing because that's where you can learn how to support someone who's struggling without enabling them, and how to best, um, you know take care of yourself so that you can be there for them without allowing yourself to be dragged down because really what someone who's struggling with addiction needs is somebody who can be there for them um, through the good and the bad. Someone who will love them regardless. I think loving somebody is the most important thing. You know, don't judge. Don't, uh, you know, when there's relapses, which there always are relapses, don't judge, don't get angry, just love, just keep loving. And the more you can reinforce to that person that you love them, the stronger they feel because when, when an addict is, is deep in their addiction, there's so much loathing and self hate that goes along with it. The last thing they need is somebody who they love or respect adding to that. And it's so hard because the things that they're doing, you know, are harmful and hurting them and dangerous and and it's scary. And I think most of the time we respond out of fear and that can come out as anger or um, judgment or all these different things. And all of those responses actually push that person farther into their addiction or make it harder for them to deal with it because it just piles one more thing on top of them. And so I just, I personally think that, and I, of course, I'm no expert, but just from my personal experience, I think that that finding a way to to protect yourself and and love that person are the two most important things that you can do.
1: I think that's amazing advice. Awesome. Um, Chris has another question here, which I think is. Uh, a very difficult question for anyone to answer. And I think before I ask it, I'm going to point out that one of the things that I've learned on this show and, and through the guests that we've had on is the path to recovery, the path to getting healthy is different for every single person. Everyone's journey is unique. And there's people that can only do it one way. There's people that have found another way to to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is uh, extremely important to remember that if somebody has gotten themselves healthy and in a good mind space, but they didn't necessarily do it the way that you did it, it doesn't mean that either of you did it the wrong way. Um, And I think that's something that we we have learned here. So every situation is very unique and has its own unique set of circumstances. So mm-hmm. with that being said, Chris says, uh, can you, or should you maintain or engage in relationships with addicts, romantic or otherwise, if you are a recovering addict yourself?
0: Oof!
2: damn, Chris. Yeah, Yeah, that's a tough Uh, question. And I, you know, honestly, I don't know that I can answer that properly. Um, I'm not an addiction specialist. I have not. I I just have my own personal experience and that's all I'm sharing. Right. Um, I do think that someone who has struggled with addiction can relate to someone else who has struggled with addiction in a very unique way. Um, but I do think that a lot of times we use a relationship as a crutch and, um, and we use it as a means of escape and a way to avoid dealing with things. Um, because a lot of times, you know, what we're dealing with in our own heads or just, you know, to personalize it, the things I'm dealing with in my, my own head, I can, I can ignore that a lot if, if I have somebody else to focus on, you know, but if I, if I don't, then I have to deal with that on my own. And so I do think that, um, a lot of times, you know, when you're dealing with something, I think unhealthy people tend to gravitate towards other unhealthy people. And if, if both of those people are focused on getting healthy, then it can be a very positive thing. But as I said, it can also be a crutch. It can also be a way to hide. It can also be a way to avoid because if that person's doing the same things you are, then it validates what you're doing and makes you feel like it's okay. And so, if if you're both pursuing, you know, a, a positive path, then it can be a good thing. But um, but that's not always the case. So I do think that, um, in anything, whether it's addiction or anything else, I think we need to be the best that we can be before we start worrying about what we can give to other people in a relationship. So, um, I would think, and I may be wrong. And if I am, please correct me. But I think that someone who is, um, struggling with addiction, uh, really needs to, to find a way to stand on their own two feet. And get help through the community that they're a part of, whether you know it's through a program or um, a, a group. Definitely have those connections. But as far as you know, being romantically involved, um, I think a lot of times we use that to mask the challenges that we're facing. And so it might be healthier to to work on those things and get on a better path before getting involved.
1: Yeah, I I certainly don't have the answer to it, but. Like I said, I just know that every situation is so different and right. there's, there's exactly. people that have to completely isolate and can't be around anything. And then there's mm-hmm. people like, you know, Ken Denson, who's getting pounds of weed for Snoop Dogg on the up and smoke tour and not batting an eye saying he's fine with it. So, um, yeah.
2: and you know, I do think that brings up a great point too, Jarrett, that everybody's sobriety looks different, you know, for some people, they um the only way that they can they have been able to uh get their life together and get off of the opioids is by smoking weed. And you know, I'll take weed over opioids any day, you know. Yeah, you it, hear
1: the term cali sober, right? It's, yeah, got its, own, go, it's got its own right, thing.
2: Right. But for some people, their sobriety depends on being completely sober of any mind-altering substances. And that's what works for them. And so I think we all need to um to have a little bit of grace and understanding and realize that the ultimate goal is for someone to be able to live their life without um without fucking it up with a a substance or an addiction. And if they do that by smoking weed or or by exercising or but whatever it is, you know, if they find something that they can still have a productive life and be who they were intended to be and offer to society what they have to offer, then that's good, whatever it looks like, as long as it's, it's not, you know, destructive to, to their bodies or to the people around them. And I think that that, in in my opinion, anyway, is really the goal of sobriety is to find a way that, that it's not just that addiction is not destroying your life.
1: Yeah. And, and we've seen it both ways on this yep, show. We've had, we have. we've had uh Soma and Stacy, they, you know, they went the Cali sober route and it, it mm-hmm. worked for them. And the, you know, they're out there changing so many people's lives now. Amazing women. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, and then you talk to, you know, like Kyle Smith or, or Todd and they just have to stay away from everything because they yeah. know that they end, you know what, they're all in a great place and they've all done it their own way. So, um, you know, Chris, every situation is different and, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one though. It sounds like he's, uh, sounds like he's going through a time. Uh, okay. So this next question is, is interesting. Uh, We're going to read it. We're going to put it out there. Um, It's from Robbie. Robbie says, As a huge Sublime fan, the cover of Rivers of Babylon by Bradley's father and son Jacob brought an emotional reaction out of me listening to it for the first time, as I'm sure it did for many others. Can you give us a glimpse of how the process was recording that song? I imagine it had been pretty emotional and special, but difficult, perhaps. Can you give us the backstory on the recording process of that? It is such a special song. Thanks, Robbie. Well, Robbie, you are in luck because (laughs) Kelly and I really have no idea. However, you can hop in the archives, jump over to episode one, where we had Papa Jim as the very first guest in Bradley's house. And he has uh, some pretty fun stories about recording that song specifically. So, Um it it was Absolutely. actually one one of and my, we even one, brought it up with Jacob too we did we we spoke about it well, I yelled at Jacob because you know your dad said he was he was he was he was going over top of him, so I had to so that, Robbie is
2: always worried that the the things are too noisy and you can't hear
1: the lyrics <laughs> he's uh yeah, that was honestly that mm-hmm. it's funny that Robbie, you bring that up because that's probably one of my favorite parts of uh of the entire podcast is talking about that song and <laughs> and how it happens and uh and your your dad saying that yeah. my wife wasn't there yelling at me the whole time telling me no 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 do it like this try it like that it was uh it, it was it was one of my favorite parts so robbie <laughs> hop into the archives you can find them on youtube at bradley's house we're on yes. all podcast platforms jump over to episode one you are uh, you're not going to want to miss some of those stories from from Papa Jim, and he specifically we get into that one, and it's everything that you want the backstory recording the whole nine it was it was great
2: absolutely and I will take credit for making that happen by the way, there's very few things I will actually take credit for, but that is one of them when the whole you know um the whole album was was being developed. I suggested to dad that he do a duet with Jacob and dad was like, Oh no, people don't want to hear me. (laughs) I'm like, Oh yes, they do. You know, Brad and I grew up listening to my dad play guitar and sing. And um, that was such a huge part of our life, not just our childhood, but our entire life. And so to have dad do a song on the album, I think was, was just super perfect and fitting, but to have him do it with Jacob, was, was so next level emotional. Um, and, and that is the song that I have gotten the most feedback out, uh, from people on, um, so many people were touched by that and had a very emotional reaction to it. And, um, so that, that lets me know that it was the right thing to do, but I do think that there's something really special about having the two of them singing you know, one of Brad's songs. It's just, it's a moment. And for anyone who hasn't heard it, I highly recommend that you check it out. It's really special.
1: Also, you can find that on Bradley's house, YouTube page. Of course you can own that song and many others available at law records.com. The house that Bradley built compilation, all proceeds go to have Bradley's house built to the Knoll family yes. foundation. Just a quick little plug there for us. Well done. Um, You're a can pro you think- Jarrett. Yeah. You think I've done this before? (laughs) Once Um, or twice. Yeah. Uh, Johnny asks, (laughs) was there anything Brad liked to cook that everyone liked or did he hate cooking?
2: Oh, okay. So here's the deal. When our parents divorced, It was a difficult thing. Anybody who has ever been through divorce knows how difficult it can be. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for the people going through it. It's difficult for the kids. And so when all that was happening, Brad and I really had to start fending for ourselves a bit. Not, not that we were, I'm not, you know, disparaging either of our parents. They're wonderful people and they, they absolutely did the best that they could for us. But there were a lot of times when, you know, it was on us that we had to, to make our own dinner. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And it, it, it taught us a lot. But at a young age, we did not know how to make a lot of things. But one thing we did know how to make was Campbell's cream of chicken soup and grilled cheese sandwiches. So when I first heard Brad mention grilled cheese in the song, I I laughed because I knew exactly where it was coming from. And it cracks me up whenever people like, why does he say grilled cheese? Okay. I don't know why he mentions it in the song because that's ludicrous, but I do know that grilled cheese was a big part of our growing up because that was pretty much all we knew how to make. And there was, there was always bread and there was always cheese for the most part. And so, um, we learned at a very young age how to make cream of chicken soup and grilled cheese sandwiches. I wish it was tomato soup and grilled cheese. Cause that's the cool thing. That's what everybody thinks. Tomato soup goes with grilled cheese, but in our house it was cream and chicken soup. So that was pretty much, you know, he got very good at it. I got very good at it. I, I don't want to be too modest, but I do make the best grilled cheese on the planet. And, um, and then as he got older, when he went away to Santa Cruz, he started, Trying weird and crazy things like tofu, which does not seem weird and crazy to us now, but trust me in nineteen eighty six it
1: seems weird and crazy still.
2: <laughs> it was weird and crazy. I remember him coming home being home from school and buying tofu and there was tofu in the refrigerator. I'm like, what what are you gonna do with this? oh and veggie burgers, veggie burgers. I'd never even heard of a veggie burger at the time. This was like 87. I want to say he, and he had veggie burgers in the freezer. I'm like, what is a veggie burger? That makes no sense. So all these weird foods that he came back eating, um, when he came was home he just from doing Santa it to Santa be Cruz. trendy,
1: like he didn't so, think it tasted good. Right.
2: I can't imagine that he did, but you know, it's just so Brad, it's just, it didn't, it was just different and fun and unusual and, And he wasn't afraid to try stuff. You know, he loved trying different things. He loved spicy food. Both of my boys get that from him. Oh my gosh. Ketchup is spicy for me, but boy, could this boy eat spicy food. So you had to be really careful if Brad made something because it could be ridiculously spicy. Um, and you wouldn't know it until you took your first bite and the tears started flowing. So, um, yeah, those, I wouldn't say that there's anything that he necessarily made that you know was was super noteworthy but it was enough to feed himself we weren't really big on the whole you know family dinners just because we were all busy and running 24 different directions so it was never like hey I'm gonna cook for you tonight but um but he knew enough you know to cook and and feed himself (laughs) and so yeah it was spicy things it was weird things like tofu and veggie burgers. And lots and lots of grilled cheese sandwiches and cream of chicken soup.
1: Well, Kelly, all of our all of our listeners and supporters <laughs> are are very special to us. And nobody is above anybody. We're all in this together. <laughs> How however, it is very rare that the sausage king of Chicago sends in a question right? for our podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Abe Froman himself emails in a question, and I'm just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so
2: I feel super honored because We've Fairy Bueller is one of my personal heroes, and that movie is just a classic. And anybody who grew up in the 80s must love that movie. If they don't don't tell me, don't, don't destroy my illusions. But yes, when that message came through from Abe Froman, <laughs> I just about died. That is fabulous. And whoever you are that sent that as Abe Froman, I love you. So there you go. We're best friends now.
1: Now, are we the biggest assholes ever? If this is really from Abraham Froman. <laughs> who just happens oh to God. be a sublime oh. fan. And, I didn't think of that. And, <laughs> and, he's,
2: no and, he,
1: and he is not the Sausage King of oh, Chicago.
2: That would be so awkward. If that's the case, I'm really sorry, Abe, but you've got a fabulous name.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that that's accurate. Um, I, I guess it could be Abe Froman Jr. at this point. And in that case, <laughs> yeah, we've got the rock. This is the Sausage Prince. Of Chicago <laughs> right now. Um, but without further ado, Abe says uh, Hello, Kelly. I'm a huge fan of Sublime and of your brothers, so much so that my two year old son Bradley was named after him. What are your Love thoughts him. on people like myself who name their kid or their pet after your brother or even after Lou Dog? Have a great day.
2: I think it's amazing. I really do. The pets were enough for me that just, I was so impressed. But when I started hearing about people naming their children after him, and I still hear about it often, it blows my mind. Like that is, that's huge. That's huge. To have something that impacts you enough that you want to name your child, it, you know, as a, in honor of that or whatever, it just... I don't know, that to me is the most amazingly wonderful, craziest thing. And I wish he, that Brad was sitting right here and we could just be like, whoa, that's incredible. Like, I think it would really blow him away too. And it's just such a huge, huge compliment and such a huge honor. And um, yeah, every time I hear about it, I, it just, it gets me right in the feels. It's so, it's huge. It's really, really a big deal to me. I think it's
1: awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Abe. Yeah, Abe, thank you. And, uh, and thank you, Bradley. And I'd like to uh, uh, apologize if you're not the Sausage King. If you're really just like the son of Judy and uh, Bill Froman, and they named you <laughs> Abe, and that happens to be your name, uh, that's awesome. You got, you got a badass name. If you have no idea yeah. what we're talking about, check out Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure you know what you're doing there. you um derek asks how derek's keeping it 100 kelly okay he wants to know how down with the grateful dead was brad do you know if he ever saw them did the scarlet begonias cover come about because he was a fan
2: i think we have miguel to to uh I was going to say blame to credit <laughs> with the, um, the grateful dead exposure. I Agreed. don't. Yeah. I don't remember Brad particularly being a big fan, but I know that Miguel, you know, sort of introduced him to that music and um, I'm pretty sure we talked about it with Miguel. We it's did.
1: Him? We we, yeah. we spoke about it a little bit and uh, Megs was so, a dead fan. I don't think, yeah. I don't think Brad disliked it, but uh, no, so America. much so that in the Scarlet Begonias cover, it's Miguel singing it. It's not yeah. Brad. Brad yeah. said, go ahead. Go ahead, Megs. You you run with this one. So, um, But, you know, I think everybody at some point goes through a, a Grateful Dead phase. Maybe not you, Kelly, but I'm yeah. telling you, most people go through a Grateful Dead phase. I remember saying, Dad, do you do you like the Grateful Dead? Jerry? you have to be as fucked up as they are to enjoy the show because the songs are 42 minutes apiece, And so if, if you're not, if you're not as fucked up down there as they are up on the stage, then no, I don't, I wouldn't enjoy it. And I'm just like, well, short answers here, dad, it didn't have to be this way. Um, But yeah. So. um, Yeah.
2: I don't think he disliked them. Um, And I'm sure that he, you know, appreciated their musicality. I, I don't know the exact answer to that. I think that Miguel is much better equipped to answer that, and by the way, the episode with Miguel I loved, and I think we could we could honestly have Miguel on the show once a month, and it would not be too much. He has so many fabulous stories and has so much insight and is so down to earth and such a wonderful human being um, that I would strongly recommend that anybody who is a fan of sublime's music check out that episode with miguel and we'll have him on again
1: for sure oh yeah we have to I, i think the thing that and obviously i don't know if any of it's true but you certainly do and people it's miguel has like a photographic memory like it's, it's amazing, it's isn't it? It's something special inside of him. I remember starting that podcast off and being like, Kelly, what was it like the first time you met Megs? And you were like, uh, uh. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, it was actually at the party, and your dad was behind the piano, and your grandpa was sitting in the brown chair. And I remember, and I was it's just like, Such oh.
2: a memory. Yeah,
1: it was, it, it was, it was amazing. Um, so
2: uh, which reminds me of a quote that my oldest son brought up last night from rocket power do you are you too young to you remember rocket power such a great your, cartoon oh my right god rocket power okay is. rocket power was this fabulous cartoon um that my oldest used to watch and i would watch with him because i truly loved it anyway um apparently there was a line in rocket power one of the characters said We all have photographic memories. Just some of us don't have any film or something to that effect. It was actually funnier the way you said it, but yeah, that's, that's me. I have no film in my camera, but um, Miguel was always fully loaded for sure.
1: I have a great memory with some things. Sometimes I walk around for 15 minutes looking for my phone that I'm on. So it goes, (laughs) it goes both, both ways. Yeah. Um, Trenton asks, where was their jam spot mostly located around Long Beach? Did they have a certain place after they started making it big or did they just jam in random places? Like in the STP video, was that a practice space?
2: Again, I would have to defer to Miguel for this kind of stuff. Um, I remember them playing in our garage a lot when they first started and um I know they played at Bogarts quite a bit, which was a local club nearby in long beach and um that's about all I got because I don't remember <laughs> sorry, I'm really sorry that's, it's a great question, but i just don't I don't
1: remember I think that's that's fair enough, yeah. um, and, and I also uh, wasn't
2: like super involved in that, you know, like that was. I was super involved when he would have shows i would go and and see the shows to support him but um you know it was it was my older brother it was his thing and i'm off doing my thing and you know i wasn't really um i wasn't following sublime because they were sublime i was following the sublime because it was my brother and i wanted to support what he did Um, not to say that i didn't enjoy it i really enjoyed the music for sure um, but I didn't, I didn't know then that it was going to become what it did now. And so it never really occurred to me to take note of those
1: things. Well, I think, uh, Miguel had mentioned that they, they pretty much were getting kicked out of everywhere. They were, pretty much. they were trying, yeah, they, they were trying to play at your, at your dad's and that, that lasted for a little while. The and neighbors they, were
2: not happy about that. I do remember that. And I do remember my dad not
1: caring that the neighbors were not
2: happy about that, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That, soo- good.
1: that, yeah, that <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that um, it's safe to say that STP being on Robin the hood and the majority of Robin the hood being recorded in a house that Brad was squatting in, in Dana point, Um, They didn't have a a nice tight setup facility for any type of, uh, of band rehearsals. Um, So I would imagine it just kind of went down wherever it went down.
2: Yeah. I I have some vague recollections of things, but um, I'm definitely not the expert on all things sublime related. I, I have insight into Brad as a person and as my brother, but I'm not a sublime historian. And so there are, Plenty of people that are much better at answering those things than I am.
1: Yeah, there's. uh, I I know that where the STP video is. uh, I I know that it's out there. I know that people know where it is. I just don't happen to be to be one of those people. So um,
2: I I thought, and I and I'm probably wrong on this, but I thought they shot the STP video in the storefront that they were living in at the time. There were they. Brad was living in a storefront at one point. Um, but maybe that wasn't it. I'm not really sure.
1: It's a super charming video. Um, so <laughs>
2: charming.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Um, Mark says, Oh, not a question, but a huge thank you, Kelly. Around the time you started coming around, uh, fans is about the time I found Brad's grave. Not only was I able to meet you, I met Jarrett and a bunch of other fans and family throughout my time being a fan. This is the first May I will not be in California, and I'm going to miss my sublime family and being around Bradley. I'm going to miss the sunsets there. Well, thanks, Mark. I I remember Mark vividly. Great dude.
2: I remember. uh, I know, Mark. He's such a sweetheart. And I'm a little jealous that Mark has met you and I have not. (laughs) or maybe yeah. i I don't know maybe i would, I did, and we just don't remember, but um yeah i Mark is a great guy, and you know he brings up a great point that when um when Brad first died, I used to go to the cemetery for on his birthday and the anniversary of his death and and a hundred other times in between, but um after a couple of years, other people started showing up on those days, and it was it was very confusing for me and also difficult because you know I would go there to cry and feel bad. And, and, and I didn't want to have to, you know, smile and tell stories and that kind of thing. And so it was hard for me. So I stopped going. And, um, but, but at the same time, I love the fact that so many people gather there on those days to remember him and honor him and they, you know, play music and talk and, and just and have a great time. And I love that. And I think Brad would love that. And I think it's just so wonderful. Um, and I've heard from people who, you know, show up at the cemetery and they're not really sure where to find his grave. And so they ask and, and the, the people who work there always say, Oh no, we can't tell you, you know, the family wants privacy. It really is just because, you know, for whatever reason, they, they have their own policies of not sharing that information. It's definitely not because the family has said, don't tell people because we love the fact that people go there. We love the fact that, that people honor Brad's memory in, in their way and in our way and, you know, whatever. And it's a, I think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And, and I love hearing the stories that people have shared of the times that they've spent there and the, the friends that they've made and the, you know, the experiences they've had, I think it's a really wonderful thing. And um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's fabulous. And I do, I do know Mark and he is a wonderful human being and um, just one of those people that every time you see at a show or anything, you know, has a smile and is just really genuine and awesome. And I've made some really great friends through, Brad's music and, um, you know, fans of sublime and that kind of thing. Some of my closest friends, um, have come from that. And, and I, again, I just look at that as another, another way that Brad's kind of looking out and, you know, giving me a little gift and, um, the opportunity to have people that, that remember him and that I can, you know, have that shared, um, emotion with. So I think it's a very cool thing.
1: It's, it's a really cool thing. And it's a very unique, bond within this, uh, this family and this community For sure. and, uh, and just met some of the most, the most amazing people, you know, actually just this past week, I had the, uh, the incredible opportunity to hang out and, and spend some time with, uh, with our friend, Steve Jackson from Tone of Guitars. Oh,
2: that's right. Um, you told me you were going to see him and I told, I meant to ask you, how did that go? Well, I mean, it's probably not the right time to ask you, but isn't he wonderful? <laughs> I love
1: Steve. Yeah. Yeah, he was it was uh it was really cool. And uh he came out, we hung out for a little bit, he brought out one of his uh his amazing tona basses, um and you know beautiful guitars, huh? Guys, if if you are a musician, if you have a musician uh in your family, a loved one, these are just phenomenal phenomenal pieces of uh, equipment. Mm. He builds them all from one piece of wood. That's remarkable. Um, yeah. So it's just the, and, you know, he puts so much time and research and energy into each one that he builds and to make sure that, uh, you know, the neck is exactly the right size and that it's just you know, he was explaining to me the science behind building oh, a proper sounding instrument. And it was mm. just, uh, it was, it was really, really amazing so much. And it's weird. It's like, I've turned this into a commercial and I don't, I don't mean it to be, but it's <laughs> it just, should it, be though. It was so, so fascinating good, yeah. for me now. She personally hand makes each one of these instruments Mm -hmm. so much so that and gosh I don't even know if he wants me telling this but I'm telling it because this is how much people need to know the second guitar that he ever built he built as a gift for his brother Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: after he sent it out he said he started having separation anxiety it was like he said you know he said i spent so much time and put so much mm-hmm. into it and and that's what these that's what these machines and, and you know cuz that's really what they are these things are just like it, it's it's amazing um so tona guitars t o n a um you should check them out because he's been a huge supporter of the foundation and bradley's house
2: and um, of the music scene in general i mean he is so Generous with his time and his talents. And I, I know that he has, you know, loaned out those guitars. He even made one and donated it to us to put in Bradley's house. So it sits at, in a place of honor um, on my dad's desk in his home office. And we're saving it until we open the house and can put it will be the first instrument that goes in the music room. So it'll have a very special place, but it's just, it's a beautiful, Piece of art. It's an incredible instrument, and it's made with so much love. He, um of course, named the company after his late wife, and so that's where the the Tona part comes from. And so it just comes from a place of of so many things that that I think embody and represent what we're trying to do with the Noel Family Foundation and Bradley's House. And it just it really touches my heart to have people do that. We even have. Um, a neighbor friend who just donated a guitar that he made. Um, He spent, I, I, I don't even recall, but I'm sure it's been at least a year and a half that he, he created this thing and it's just, just such a beautiful gift. And you have people who've donated paintings that they've made and all these things. It's just, I love when other creative people use their creativity to, you know, to be a part of this it's just such a cool thing so lots of lots of exciting things but um yeah i'm so glad that you got to hang out with steve that's really cool
1: yeah yeah it was it was really cool and uh he told me that you know like right now um aiden from jacob's band Uh law he's got a tona product in hand uh bert suzanka from the ziggins he's Uh got a tona product in hand kyle smith might be strumming a tone of product mm-hmm. every now and then. So um it's just awesome to see Steve who who's doing some awesome things and uh you know it's just it was really cool to be able to meet another another member of the of the community and uh, yes. get to hang out. So yeah, I was I was very lucky for that. Uh Kevin Shin, he's got a, uh, a question here, but I think we kind of already covered that. kind of asked what, what Brad's favorite meal is, and uh, I think he said that the go-to was kind of uh, grilled cheese and mm-hmm. cream, of, cream of chicken soup. Campbell's so, cream of
2: chicken,
1: yes. Don't listen, they're not paying us <laughs> to whoever's cream of chicken. If Campbell's wants to get I on think like there's any here, other cream
2: of chicken then we'll there. start.
1: We'll start: <laughs> We'll start. It could have been Progresso. What if Progresso was in the hunt? now they're out.
2: Does Progressive and Make Creamy Chicken? Maybe they do. I don't know. Well, how do I know? I don't know. But I do have to say, Kevin Shin is a wonderful friend of the foundation. He has an amazing restaurant called The Switchboard down in Oceanside in Southern California, San Diego County. It is outstanding. It's like this incredible Hawaiian cuisine with this you, these unique twists and um, Brindy and I went down there and had dinner one time after I'd been talking with Kevin and he's just been such a huge support of the foundation and oh my gosh was the food amazing just amazing and Kevin is what the most incredible person he he is a fire captain he owns the restaurant he's on boards of foundations and he does all this stuff to help us he's researched grants he's made donations he's had um, happy hour programs at his restaurant where people can donate a portion of their meal to the foundation and, and all this through COVID when he was even struggling and having to, you know, close the doors and all this kind of stuff. He's just one of those people that, that never stops giving. And, um, just uh, another incredible example of the wonderful people that, you know, we've been surrounded by in creating this whole thing. So Kevin's a great guy.
1: Well, Kevin, you can send in a question anytime, but you, you just, you, you got it. You got a question. You fire that shit in. You're at the front Anything of the
2: line for Kevin. Yes,
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, Kelly, I got to ask you, and we talked a, a little bit in one episode uh, about your, your sons kind of finding out uh, about Brad's story and uh, and how it all happened and how you kind of ease them into it. So mm-hmm. uh, aside from that, was there a moment when, like, do you remember explaining to them or them understanding that, like, their uncle's fucking famous? There's a mural on the side of a barbershop <laughs> for him, and they're playing his songs in Hollywood movies, and there's posters in the mall with his band's name on them. Like, did, do you remember there being a time where they were, like, oh, like a famous fucking uncle? Obviously,
2: I can't completely answer that question, but my kids could answer it much better, and I just happened to have one of my amazing sons right here. so let me ask him, Andrew, do you remember any times in your last eighteen years of experience <laughs> when um when you've realized that like other people know of your uncle's music <laughs> and not just you know something that we sing? at home or in the car or whatever
1: yeah i mean there have been like a few times when like i've been riding in the car with friends of mine who like don't even actually know that like i'm related and like we'll just start like jamming out or like i'll be playing like sublime at a beach or something and people will like be vibing with me along like to the music or like say something about it and it's just like it's really cool to see that
2: yeah it's a trip huh yeah like get. It, it feels like all of a sudden these strangers know something about your intimate life. Yeah, huh?
1: yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. Like,
2: hey, I know that song too. <laughs> it's yeah, a trip, it's huh? crazy.
1: Most of the time, people just don't even like believe it. It's just like there's no way. And I'm like, oh yeah, literally, my mom's brother.
2: <laughs> and have there been times when you've like seen people wearing sublime shirts or something? And all the time. Yeah, it's a trip, huh? Yeah, we still, we still all kind of trip out on that. It's like. If we're out somewhere and we see someone wearing a sublime shirt, we all like hit each other like, "Oh, check it out! Look, there's someone with a sublime shirt!" And we all get super excited.
1: is yeah. like there have been like times at shows when like we would count like however many like sublime shirts we <laughs> see.
2: Yeah, we're super dorky like that. We get really excited about sublime shirts, and um, yeah. So one cool thing I think about all of this is that um, because the the reggae rock community is just is so family friendly. And so, you know, it's just such a great environment that I've been able to take my kids with me to shows since they were young. And um, so, you know, a lot of those shows that we would go to were in that genre. And and so it wouldn't be that unusual to see people with sublime shirts. And um, so that's, that's what he's saying. Like we would be like counting how many sublime shirts we saw and get all super stoked with each one
1: it's always got to be cool still it's got to be cool to this day and uh trust me andrew i totally get it dude my uncle tim plays the saxophone (laughs) on rick james's uh super freak what what do you mean mean, no don't stop it i've been telling this story for years now you can't just end it here on the podcast in front of everybody i've got like there's like there i still have like friends to this day they're like hey what's that what's the kid's name his uncle plays the sax and super freak and i'm like "Yeah, that's me uh all right so it's not true your your cool uncle story is true mine isn't but i still i still go with it i go with that story a lot and it's uh Listen, initiating conversation is half the battle in in most uncomfortable situations. So if you can lead in with, "Hey, are you uh, familiar with the with the sax solo and Super Freak?" Yeah. Why Super time? Freak of all songs, Jarrett? Why Super Freak? Well, first of all fucking prominent sex solo, right? True. It's like, okay. you you, yeah. you remember that. And secondly, Rick James is from Buffalo. So it is somewhat believable. I have a whole backstory about how my uncle Tim knew Rick James's sister from a ho- summer school. They went to summer school together and he walked her home the one day and then Rick James's mom made him soup. It's, trust nice. me, I got I've got all my bases covered um just unfortunately oh, wow. none of it's true and, <laughs> and for andrew his his actually is, is true so yeah. <laughs> he does have those he does have those cool moments so
2: true well thank you for joining us Andrew.
1: <laughs> yeah thanks guys thank i appreciate you. it absolutely anytime that was fun so that was like uh let's see here your dad you jake that was like what our, our fourth our fourth Noel on the family here, yeah on the we, show. we have had
2: a lot yeah or,
1: yeah. We're, we're, we're covering it. I like it. I like that a lot. Um, well, Kelly, I think we had uh, a lot of fun and I think we really kind of took you out of your comfort zone and, and had the spotlight on you, which I know you don't really like, um, yep, but not you're, a fan. yeah, but you're, you have fans out there. You're, you're kind of a big deal. I know you don't like to believe it. Yeah, I know you don't I, like to hear it still,
2: I'm need but to it's edit that part out. <laughs>
1: we're not we're not editing it we're not editing it out um, in fact um, for any of our listeners that visit the nollfamilyfoundation.org um for a price they can get your autograph and you might even include like a t-shirt or a hat in it right is that how yes. that works
2: that is how that works i do sign every single packing list myself
1: it's kind of a kind of a big deal and some of them <laughs> maybe some of them have maybe been touched by Andrew who graced his presence on, on the show today too. So definitely. Um, they yeah, been,
2: yes. My boys help out with the merch orders a lot. A
1: lot I of old DNA, a lot of old DNA going into those. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's okay. It's a non-for-profit. They're volunteering. They're learning. There the, you go. Th- they're learning the ways to do this. So uh, I, I think this was a, a kind of a fun way to, uh, to, to, answer some questions and let the fans be a part of the show uh, for what is uh, a kind of a tough week for, for sublime fans. And, and obviously for your family with it uh, coming up on the passing, uh, the date of Brad's passing. So uh, I think that this is a uh, just kind of a, a way to not dwell on, on the bad, but look at some of the fun and get to get to hear about him blowing his nose in the shower and making grilled cheese sandwiches. Absolutely.
2: You know, I just I appreciate that people want to hear the stories. And um, it's it is it's very, it's very humbling to me. And, and I do feel very privileged that I can share these things. And I so appreciate everybody that supports the foundation and the podcast and all the things that we're all collectively doing to try to make a difference in this world in some way, shape or form. So, And thank you, Jarrett, because you're the one that made this whole podcast happen. It wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And you do so much behind the scenes that people don't realize. But um, I certainly would never have considered doing a podcast if it weren't for you. And I certainly can't imagine doing it with anyone else. So thank you for all that you do. I really appreciate you.
1: Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm really just the first listener. I get to hear the show first every <laughs> single week. And uh, I'm just a fan who's, uh, who's super lucky and, and grateful to be able to do this and help spread the word and, and share some of these stories. And, um, you know, I've had people that, that actually know you uh, reach out to me and be like, I can't believe you got her to do a podcast and talk <laughs> and, and tell these stories. I'm, I'm super real. impressed. So um I think that we're all we're all very grateful that you that you open up and, and share these stories and this time with us and uh help get some of your friends and some of your brothers' friends to come on and chat and, and tell some stories with us and then, you know, we occasionally slide somebody in that we can fanboy out on for a little while mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I think, um, it's really starting to pick up some traction. People are starting to understand what we're doing. We're here to entertain you guys. Life is tough. Life is, life is shitty. So if we can give you guys an hour show and you can hear some cool stories from a musician that you like, or hear some stories about a musician that you like, or just know that there's people that are going through or have gone through what you're going through or did yeah. go through, um, you know it's just uh, it's it's really been awesome, and I'm really looking forward uh, to continue this going. Now, uh, we are going to get back to our regular format, so we are going to have a lot of really cool guests coming up for you guys. Um, but today was kind of a kind of a special show and it was an opportunity to uh, to let you guys ask some questions and be a part of the show and uh, we're going to start opening that up and doing that uh, a little bit more. You guys can always email us uh, bradley's house podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us everywhere. Uh, The Knoll Family Foundation, you can find the Bradley's House group on Facebook. Um, The Knoll Family Foundation is on all forms of the hip social media that everybody is using these days, all over the interwebs. I'll tell you what, (laughs) this internet's not a fad. It's here to stay, okay? This this (laughs) is not, yeah, this thing, this is... (laughs) This is, this is not the, uh, th- this is not the laser desk. This internet's going to be around <laughs> for a while. So go laser ahead desk. and, uh, <laughs> go ahead and toss a follow to the, uh, to the foundation. Check out the Bradley's house page on Facebook. Uh, of course you can follow us on YouTube at Bradley's house. You can find us on all platforms for podcasts at Bradley's house. Make sure to hit that five star and make sure you're subscribed. tell a friend. You can go ahead and check out the merchandise at the org, And of course, there's always the Venmo and the Cash App. Kelly, what are they?
2: On Cash App, we're Noel Family. And on Venmo, we are Noel Foundation.
1: If everybody listens, sends a dollar right now, we're that much closer to getting Bradley's house up and built. And you guys can say, hey, you know what? I had my part in getting that going. And I had my part in that next chapter of The Sublime Story. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. You don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Noel. And we are out of time.
0: song now how shall
2: My name is Tyson with the Knoll Family Foundation and I wanted to provide some resources to any men and women that need help and are struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. The first one I want to give is the SAMHSA.gov website and that is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration website and their 1-800 number is 1-800-662-HELP. That's one 800 662 4357. And you can always personally reach out to myself. My name is Tyson Sullivan, and you can email me at info at thenolefamilyfoundation.org. I have a lot of resources throughout the whole country, and I can help you get connected for yourself or a loved one that's struggling.